this is an ICGC Cornerstone podcast. At Cornerstone, we believe in the power of the Word of God to transform lives and empower people to influence their generation. And now, time for the message. Between now and the next three weeks, I will be starting a series titled Christ in You. Tell somebody Christ in You. Many times as Christians, we, when we get born again, we give our lives to Christ. He becomes our Lord and Savior. And uh, we get excited about our salvation. And, uh, but many times we don't really understand the implications of our salvation. Um, we don't really understand that relationship that we have with God. And it's, it's important as Christians to you know, take time and establish and give some understanding and clarity to what our relationship is with Christ as well and how to live out that relationship. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. Colossians, this is the New Testament, Colossians, all right? Colossians chapter 1. I think now that we are in a digital age, people find it very easily. But I think one day we, have, we all have to bring have to a day of hard copy Bible. Uh, and then we will draw our sword in the service. Uh, but Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 27. This is Paul speaking. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. Verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What is that mystery? Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So you see where I got my sermon title from. The Apostle Paul, by the help of the Holy Spirit, says that there is a mystery that has been hidden for many ages. And that mystery has been revealed to the generations that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It sounds like a very simple phrase, but it's a very profound statement. That Christ in you is the hope of glory. And there are three important questions that we must answer from that statement. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The first question is, what does Christ have in him? Because if Christ is going to be in you, you must understand what he has in him. Because if you don't understand what he has in him, then when you receive Christ as Lord and personal Savior, what have you received? Very important question. We're going to try to answer that question. What does Christ have in him? Because you must understand what you have received or who you have received. For example, you know, if the, the local vulcanizer or taxi driver in your neighborhood uh, or the, lo- the local tailor in your neighborhood visits your home, uh, you know, when they come, you know, you smile, give them some water, uh, go through the normal protocols, receive them nicely, uh, and then you, you know, 
bid them goodbye. But if somebody that is very, very significant comes to your house, let's say the chief of your community um, or the richest person in your community comes to your house uh, or the politician, hopefully, uh, the, the parliamentarian is doing a good job, uh, comes to your house, you know, there's a different way you receive the person. You receive them, why? Not, not, I mean, both the vulcanizer and the, and the chief or the richest person are all human beings. But you receive them differently because you see them differently. Uh, and, and so when we receive Christ, we, there is an orientation that we must have. Because when you don't know who you have received, then you don't even know how to relate to who you have received. Very important. So that we must answer that question. What does Christ have in him? Very important. The second question we must ask, answer is, if Christ in, is in us, and he's, and he's the hope of glory, what is the glory? What is that glory? What is that glory? We must, we must answer it. You know, many, many times as Christians, we read these scriptures, but we don't really understand what it's saying. We, you know, Christ in me, the hope of glory, what does it mean? It's very difficult to explain. We'll try and get some answers as well, all right? So what is that glory? The third question we'll try to answer as well is, if he is the hope of glory, how do we assess that glory? If he is the hope of glory, how do we assess that glory? So these are three important questions that we are going to consider. Now, I will not answer all three. I'm going to answer only one today. And then next week, I will answer the question of, what is that glory? If he's the hope of glory, what is that glory? And then I'll answer the last question subsequently as well. All right? That's what we'll do. Okay, so turn to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Still in Colossians. Chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Now, just to give you a little background, Paul writes to the church in Colossae, a city called Colossae. And these guys, uh, he's writing to the church there. These guys are born again. They are Christians. And as he writes to them, Paul is concerned because the Colossians uh, have the feeling that they've received Christ into, into their lives, but Christ is not enough. They feel like they must add something to Christ. It's not enough. It's, it's not enough. You know, they feel like they must add and their culture or their tradition to Christ. And I feel like just the same feeling that the Colossians have is the same feeling I think that today's Christians have. That sometimes we feel like when we receive Christ, he's not enough. He's not, Christ is not powerful. You know, I've received him, but I need to add something, right? You know, I need to, I need to add oil. I need to add what again? I need to add something. He's not, he's, 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 yes, I've received Christ, but, you know, it's like, you know, when, you, when, you know, somebody comes to me as a pastor and says, Pastor, pray for me. And I say, oh, you know, I believe you do, Father, in the name of Jesus, do it for me. The person, the person says, ah, Pastor, is that all? You didn't even scream. You didn't shout. You didn't shake yourself. You know, when you shout, then, they, then when you say in Jesus, uh-huh, then the Holy Spirit is moving. When you say in Jesus' name, the Holy Spirit has not moved. And, and so th- this is the same feeling that the Colossians had. They felt like, you know, you must add something. Christ is not enough. There must be something that must be added. So, so that's what is happening in the background. Colossians 2, 8 to 10. The Bible says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. 
For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and power. Did you get that? It says in him, verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The Bible did not say that in him dwells fullness. If he said that, that would be good. But it says in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Very important. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you, Colossians, you, Christians in Accra, are complete in him. And who is he? The Bible says he is the head of all principalities and power. This refers to God as the Father, God as the Son, God as the Holy Spirit. Although Jesus is called the Son of God, he didn't just come as the Son of God. Why? Because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Bodily. So when Jesus came, it was both Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all dwelling in him. The fullness of the Godhead. In one man. When he arrived on earth, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. He did not just carry a part of God. He carried all of God. All of God was in him. So when Jesus came into the world, he came loaded. Loaded. He was carrying something. What was he carrying? The fullness of the Godhead. So what is that fullness of the Godhead? What is the fullness of the Godhead? The fullness of the Godhead means several things. Means several things. Number one, it is God's being and nature. God's being and nature. Who God is. It is God's essence. What makes him God? My being and nature is human. God's being and God's nature is God. It's what makes him God. It's a totally different level altogether. He is not a man. So the God that refers to God's being and God's nature. Who he is. God's essence. The fullness of the God that also number two means God's glory and power. How he is seen. God's glory and power. Moses prayed and Moses said, show me your glory. The glory of God is what we see about God. But his being and nature is who he is. His glory is what we've seen. His being and nature is who he is. And the fullness, number three, refers to God's ways and acts. How he works. God's ways and acts. He's perfect in all of his ways and works. He's faithful. God is full of compassion. In the Old Testament, the idea of even seeing God was very baffling. You know, when you read the Old Testament, when people saw the angel of the Lord, they were, ter- they were terrified. They didn't, even, they didn't even know how to stand in that particular presence. And, and Moses asked God, Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, if I show you myself and you see me, you, you can't live. And so the Bible said that God moved and, and Moses saw the, an aspect of God's glory. He saw a remnant of God's glory. God's glory. And so throughout the Old Testament, although people worshipped God, they were afraid to see him. Now that is quite a very difficult situation to be in. They worship God, but they were afraid to see him. It's like, you know, you love somebody, or you, 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 you fall in love with somebody, 
you know, you see this guy, you see this beautiful lady, and you know you, you, your, your heart is, is skipping a bit, uh, your, weeks, your, your knees get weak, uh, you know, you, you know your, your, your hands shiver when you see her. You see her, but you're afraid. You love her, you see her, but you're afraid. Now, for any one of us, you can't live in a healthy relationship that way. You love the person, you see them, but you're afraid of them. So, but, but that is what is happening throughout the Old Testament. These guys love God, but when they see God, they can't relate to him. They're afraid of him. They don't, they don't even know what to do. And so they worship God from a distance. They could see his power, they could see his glory, but they could not get close to him. But in Christ Jesus, the Bible says the fullness of the Godhead was seen. That when Jesus came on earth, people saw the fullness of the Godhead, but they didn't die. They saw the fullness of the Godhead, but they were not afraid. They saw the fullness of the Godhead clothed in human flesh. And the Bible says he walked among them. The fullness of the Godhead walked amongst them, and they were not afraid. Jesus, the fullness of God's glory. God's ways, God's power, God's being, God's nature. And the Bible says, Jesus, who carried the Godhead, you and I are complete in him. That simply means that the completeness in our lives is based on the presence of Christ in us. That when Jesus comes into your life, my friends, you are complete. Nothing missing, nothing broken. In him, we lack nothing. And David was able to anticipate this in the, in the 23rd Psalm, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I am complete in him. That when you have Christ in you, you have all of him. You are complete in him. If you have all things, then there is nothing that you don't have. We are complete in him. He is the hope of glory. Very important. The fullness of the God that dwells bodily in the Lord and we are complete in him. He makes us perfect. Very important. Look at what the Bible says in Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. Just follow me carefully. I'm building my case. The plane will land very soon. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Bible says he is the image of the invisible God. Ah, This is a fully loaded scripture. I don't have time to deal with it. He's the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he may have the preeminence. Verse 19. For it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell. And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Verse 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him should dwell all the fullness. It was God's joy to make sure that when Christ came, Christ didn't come empty-handed. That he came with fullness. 
If somebody comes to your house and they come empty-handed, you know, you receive the person, you love them, and you smile, you, you welcome them, you have a, few conversa- a conversation for a, f- a few minutes, and then, you know, you, you see them off. But when somebody comes to your house and they are fully loaded, they come to us and they say, you know, get somebody to go to the boots of the car. And then they go to the boot of the car, you know, and they are pulling bags of rice, cartons of oil, cartons of meat. They are pulling all kinds of delicacies. And then they add a brown envelope to it again. Ah! When they come to your house, you, you are not in a hurry for them to leave. You say, oh, oh, take your time. Oh, oh. So you are going, oh why, why are you going? Oh, don't worry, let's talk. Yeah. You, you, in fact, you'll be expanding the conversation. Why? Because they may release something else. Beyond what they, they, they brought from the car. And the Bible says that when Jesus Christ came, he didn't come empty-handed. He came with the fullness of the Godhead. And that is the same fullness of the Godhead that lives in you as a believer. You are loaded. You are loaded. But when you don't know this, you will live ordinarily. When you don't understand it, you, you will only see your, your Christianity as salvation from sin. That that is all that Jesus Christ came to do for you and nothing else. Nothing else. So you have many people who are believers, but they don't understand the import of their Christianity. They don't understand the implications of their Christianity. They, don't, they, 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 they can't get it. They can't get it. That is why the enemy is able to lie to people, confuse people, make people feel like you have Christ in you, but it doesn't mean anything. You are born again. Filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord resides in you. But it doesn't mean anything. People don't even understand. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? But it's important we understand. The Bible says that for it pleased the Father that in him should dwell all the fullness. Jesus came fully loaded. He didn't come in the flesh as a weak person. He came fully loaded. The Godhead is in him. So let's break down what we just read. Four attributes of Christ's fullness. Let's break down what what you just read in Colossians chapter 1. There are four attributes I want to draw your attention to. The first one, the Bible says, he is the image of the invisible God. That is his person. He is the image of the invisible God. When you see him, you have seen the unseen. He is the image of the invisible God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, he is the exact image of God. He carries the image of the invisible God. He carried God's love. He carried God's compassion. He carries God's power in him. He is the image of the invisible God. That is why when Philip said, when Jesus tells Philip, I go to prepare a place for you, John 14. Philip says that, ah, and, 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 and he says, ah, but you said all these things, uh, and, and, and says the father has prepared a place for you. He said, ah, but so, where is the father you're talking about? He said, ah, haven't you seen me? He says, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. The Bible says he is the image of what? The invisible God. Now, people could relate with God without being afraid of him. Because the fullness of God is now in human flesh. You have to understand who you have received. Do you know who you have received? Do you know who you carry as a believer? His person. The the, the Bible also says, says, by him, all things were created. We see his power. 
the created universe is the is his handiwork. By him, all things were created. All things were made through him. Through him, the universe came into existence. Through him, the laws of nature were established. Through him, mankind became a self-conscious being. All things were created, including the devil. When God created the devil, it was an angel who rebelled. But that angel who rebelled has a master. Like they say in Ghana, Obia won the master. He has a master. And one day that angel, that, that, that devil will be cast to the bottomless pit. But he has a master. God created him to serve as an angel, but he rebelled against God. The Bible says all things, even the demons were created by God. They were angels who rebelled with Satan. And the Bible says at the end of age, they will all be cast into a bottomless pit. All things were created by him, whether visible and invisible. Although they rebelled against God and fight his purpose, it doesn't create, change the fact that God created them. His power. The Bible says he is before all things. That is his position. He is before all things. He is above all things. Nothing comes ahead of him. The Bible says he is above all principality and power. That in him he may have the preeminence. His name is above all names. He is the number one and everyone will appear before him in judgment. Kings, princes, both past, present and future. Even the devil will appear before him in judgment. Because he is number one. So when he is in you, you have to figure out who is in you. Have you figured out who is in you? Have you figured it out? Very important question. And the Bible says, in him, all things consist. That is his promise. In him, all things consist. Not only did he create all things, but the Bible says in him, he promises to hold all things by the word of his power. All things are held by him. I love that. Even when we feel like everything is spinning out of control, like, like the worship team led us and like, and like Kweku emphasized. When we feel like everything is going out of control, he holds all things by the words of his power. The earth that we stay in right now is spinning on its axis at an intense speed. Although the earth is spinning on its axis at an intense speed, your, our world is not spinning out of place. Why? Because he holds all things together by the word of his power. You have to know who you have. You have to understand him. In him all things consist. That is why when he was in the boat and the, and the storm was hitting the boat, the Bible says Jesus was asleep. Do you think he, did, he didn't know that there was a storm? But the Bible says he was asleep. Why? Because in him all things consist. And that's why when they woke him up, the first thing he did was to rebuke the, the storm and, and the thing went away. He was in control. Because in him all things consist. The storm cannot stop him. Because in him all things consist. Including your mess, your problems, your confusion, your challenges, your insecurities. In him, all things consist. Your life is not going out of control. Your situation is not going out of control. It may appear so, but in Christ, all things consist. You may feel like you are spinning in a washing machine somewhere. And nothing is working for you. But in him, all things consist that is why we can boldly say that all things work together for good 
to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Before you start running helter-skelter like a headless chicken, in him all things consist. And many times Christians get too terrified, we get too paranoid. Sometimes we behave as if we don't know who we have received. We behave as if, you know, as if, as if, as if Christ is in us, but he doesn't care about who, what's going on in our lives. We behave as if Jesus Christ has forgotten about us, but in him all things consist. You have to understand it. You have to know that Jesus Christ is not shocked. He is not surprised. He is not overtaken by the events that happen in your life. He's not overtaken by what is happening in Ghana. He is not shocked about it. The currency may be doing gymnastics, but he's not shocked about it. In him, all things consist. And instead of that, instead of going to the one who holds all things by the words of his power, sometimes we forget who we have received in our lives. In him, all things consist. Look at what Jesus says. About his relationship with the Father. Very interesting thought here. John 17, 22 to 23. You can just write it down. John 17, 22 to 23. It says, And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfect, they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me. And have loved them as you have loved me. Three things that this scripture teaches us. Three important things. The first one we see is that the father poured himself into Christ. It says, you in me. The father poured himself into Christ. The Godhead was poured into the man Jesus Christ. The man Jesus is fully man, fully God. He carried the fullness of the Godhead. We see in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, it says that, that is the, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to them the word, the word of reconciliation. God, the Father, poured himself into Christ. The second thing we see in the scripture is that Christ poured himself into the believer. It says, you in me, I in them. Christ poured himself into the believer. When Jesus comes into the believer, he comes with what he has in himself. If he is full of glory, then when he comes into your life, your life is full of glory. If he's the head of all principalities and powers, then when he comes into your life, you also have that power. Christ pours himself into the believer. And the third thing we see is that he shares what he has with us. He shares what he has with us. The Bible says that the glory that you gave me, I have given them. What a profound statement. The glory you gave me, Father, I have given them. Very interesting. The glory you gave me, not a different kind of glory. The glory you gave me, I have given them. Very interesting. That he has poured himself into them. Very interesting. What does that say? That God does not love you less than he loves Jesus Christ. Because the glory you gave me, it is the same glory, equal measure, not diluted. It is the same amount I have given them. That God doesn't love you less than he, than he loves Jesus. 
The same glory you give me, the same glory I've given them. God pours himself into Christ. Christ pours himself into us. The net effect, therefore, is that what God has, you have it. That's the net effect. It didn't come directly to us. It poured into Christ. And when we receive Christ as Lord and personal Savior, it comes into you. That's the net effect. Do you know who you have in you? Do you know who you have received? Look at what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14 to 18. John 1, 14 to 18. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace. Oh, God. Give me the time, Lord, to to deal with this scripture. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So we see that Jesus has made his fullness, God's fullness available to us. His his fullness is available to us. Everything that Jesus has, who is, is available to you and I as believers. The verse 14 that we just read says he is full of grace and truth. That means that grace and truth is available to us. He is full of love. The love is available to us. He is full of glory. Glory is available to us. He is full of light. Light is available to us. He is full of wisdom. His wisdom is available to us. God poured all fullness into him. And when God poured all fullness into him, God says, now, now go and live in people. And the Bible says, because of that, whatever he is full of, he has made available to you and I. But if you look at that verse very carefully, it says, of his fullness, we have received. We have received. Not of his fullness, he has given. Follow carefully. Because every word in the Bible is very important. Of his fullness, we have received. Not of his fullness, he has given. Of his fullness, we have received. Very important. That means that we must actively draw of his fullness. Just because he's full of something and actively living in us does not mean that we have the fullness in us. We must actively draw. For example, let's say you live in a, you live in a house, you know, you have your house, you live in somewhere, and then the richest man in the world comes to your house. The richest person in the world comes to your house and says, you know, you know I, I, love, I love you, I like you, and uh, I want to come and spend some time in your house. So do you have some one, a room to give me? And so, there is a, so you say, okay, you know, I have this room. The person comes to stay in your house, left everything, I come to stay in your house. Now, you have the richest man in your house. So, but you are owing somebody. You are owing the creditors. So, they come to your house. They come and knock on your door like they've been coming. And then they knock. Uh, you know, and then you tell, uh, and you're always giving excuses. You know, come back later. Come back later. And so, you know, they come and knock. And then you tell your son uh, to go and tell them that you, you are not around. And then your son goes and tells them, my daddy says, I tell you that I'm not around. 
uh, as, as so you know, they come, they knock, and you, you are always explaining, oh, I'll pay, I'll pay later, we'll pay later, uh, you know, you keep explaining, and over time you've been doing that, explaining, explaining, and then one day they get angry, they take you to court, and the court rules in their favor. Uh, and, and so the, person, the creditor comes to your house and it's coming, they, they come to sell your house. So you are packing your things out of your house, packing your things out of your house. And as you're packing your things out of your house, here comes the richest man in the world coming out of your house as well. And everybody showed, ah, you have this person in your house and we are knocking on your door. And, and you can't pay, you're giving excuses. And you say, oh, you know, I, I didn't want to disturb him. I didn't want to worry him. I didn't want to, uh, I, I want to try and solve the problem myself. You have office fullness, but you have not received grace for grace. You have it, but you have not received. Why have you not received? Because you've not actively drawn. You have Christ in you, but you've not received. Not received. Of his fullness. The guy has all the dollars in the world. And yet you cannot receive because you have of his fullness, but you have not received. You have not received. And many times, we go through things and as Christians, we want to solve everything by ourselves. When you have of his fullness, residing, you want to solve everything by yourself. You have of his fullness, but you have not received. You've not received. And so, and so before you go to look for a man or a woman of God to solve your problems, go to of his fullness. Before you go to a prophet to find out what God is saying, go to of his fullness. Who will even tell the prophet what God is saying? Go to of his fullness. He dwells in you. Of his fullness we have received. We have received. But sometimes we go around looking off of his fullness when we forget who resides in us. Of his fullness. The fullness of the Godhead lives in you and you are running around. Of his fullness we have received. And the Bible says we have received grace for grace. In other words, we draw out of him without measure. Grace for grace. We draw one blessing after the other. Of his fullness, there is wisdom. Of his fullness, there is healing. Of his fullness, there is knowledge. Of his fullness, there is financial blessing. Some people draw of his fullness salvation and they say that that is all. That is all. They say, oh, it doesn't matter whether I suffer here on earth, provided I'm going to heaven, that is all that matters. And people make such kind of statements. As if Christ cannot take care of you here on earth. The Bible says that in heaven there's streets paved with gold. Why would he want his child to be renting on earth? If your heavenly dwelling place is paved with gold, why should you be struggling on earth here? Have you thought about it before? But many times people just receive Christ and all they think about is that, oh, he has saved me from sin and that is it. That is the only thing Jesus can do for me. He cannot heal me. He cannot, he cannot, he cannot uh, provide for me financially. He cannot, he cannot make a way for me. All he can do is to save me. And, and they keep quiet. But the Bible says, of his fullness we have received was grace for grace. Different measures of blessings. That God, that you can draw from. 
But if you don't know and you don't draw, you will have, but you will not receive. You will have him, but you will not receive. Many times people feel like, of his fullness, I've received. And, 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 and all, all I, if, if, it's, if it's a headache, I, I can pray about headache. But anything above headache, I, I can't pray about it because Christ cannot deal with it. So our prayer is limited to just headache. And that is where we leave it. But the Bible says, of his fullness, we have received grace for grace. Do you know what you have received? Do you know that you are loaded? Do you know that the Son of God resides in you of his fullness you have received? Do you know that? Or are you struggling in silence? Of his fullness we have received. Grace for grace. Sometimes we say that somebody is more anointed than another person. Nobody has more anointing than the other. What makes you feel that, that way? That somebody, one person has learned that of his fullness there is grace for grace. And, and another person doesn't know it. A person has Christ, but they are suffering in silence. They have Christ, but they feel like, oh, Jesus Christ, this problem is not your level. It's not your level. Leave it for me to take care of it. It's not your level. Do you know what you have received? Do you know who you have received? Of his fullness, we have received grace for grace. Grace for grace. Whatever Christ has in him is available to everyone, not just pastors. In the church, we all have access to his fullness. We all have access to his fullness. Look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 to 23. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, he says that, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The Bible describes Jesus as the head and we are the body of Christ. You and I. Jesus is the head and we are the body. And the Bible didn't say that he put all, he put all things under his head. No. The Bible says he put all things under his feet. Is the feet part of the body? Yes. All things are subjected, not just to Christ, but to the body, which you and I are. He put all things under him. In other words, the lowest member of the body of Christ is still above all things. Because he put all things under his feet. All things, verse 23, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In other words, for every member of the church, any person who's a child of God, you are born again. Even if you got born again last night, you are a member of his body. And the Bible says his, his fullness fills you because he fills every member of the church. And that he has subjected all things under his feet. In other words, every member of the church has spiritual authority. You have spiritual authority. Many people hear about demons and, and, and they're afraid and they're running a helter-skelter. Do you know who you carry? Do you know who you carry? I was teaching my students on, 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 on Tuesday 
And they were asking me some things, and they, asking, they said, oh, sir, are you sure that even when people raise altars, and can't an, a family altar kill? I said, how would the family altar? The family altar has to pass God, defeat God, get to Christ, defeat Christ, and then get to me. Do you know the insurance package you carry? Do you, do you understand what you carry? Do you understand it? Do you understand what you carry? Of his fullness, we have received. I told you, when I was young, as a teenager, I was diagnosed of, of, of epilepsy. Epileptic. I was diagnosed. Got born again in secondary school. Had my SU president preaching. And spoke about the promises we have in God. And I said, if this is true. I told God, I remember I was walking on the staircase, climbing up to my class. SS3B. Climbing up. At the staircase, I had an epileptic shock. There, at the staircase. So I was being taken to the hospital. Akosumbo Hospital. When I go there, I was praying. I said, God, this can't continue. I can't, I can't have epilepsy. If you said that by your stripes, I was already healed. I can't have epilepsy. And on that hospital bed, I said, God, from today, epilepsy disappears. If you are Christ, it will never manifest. It has never manifested up to today, up to Jesus Christ. It will never manifest. Because I understand of his fullness. What I have received. Don't let the world deceive you. The Bible says don't be deceived by philosophy and vain ideas. All of his fullness. You have received grace for grace. Thank you for listening to the message. God bless you.